Episode 73 with Ricky Mendez and Brian Thompson. Brian is the lead singer from the band Stealing Oceans and was willing to open up about his past with uh, uh, dealing with drug and alcohol abuse and addiction at a young age, young teenage years, all the way through his late 20s, and the ups and downs and trying to figure it all out. And it's a tremendous comeback story. It reminds us the power of the mind and mental conditioning and how that could not only change our lives, but save our lives as it has for Brian. And uh, we get into the ins and outs and the details of his past and, and his present and the outlook for his future and what Ricky has meant to him and Ricky's coaching and life coaching skills and capabilities and what he's done to pass that along to Brian. And uh, both guys seem like they're in a phenomenal place and uh, really excited to see what Brian does with his band Stealing Oceans. So without further ado, please welcome both Ricky Mendez and Brian Thompson. The Optimal Life. Yeah, it's been a while, man. Looking forward to it. How was, uh, how was Australia? Phenomenal, man. Phenomenal, life-changing, um, lots of fun, connections, people, friendships, the whole deal. <laughs> what, uh, what was the highlight for you? Uh, great question. Um, I would say probably speaking there, so it was kind of like uh, I got to call myself an international speaker. <laughs> ah, there you go. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Any uh, any uh, memorable uh, people, or I, I assume you made some new connections, some new people that you met. I'm sure you met a ton of people out on those beaches, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, a bunch of them really that are really like minded. That kind of uh, were that are leading me to kind of have like a, we're kind of call it a prosperity summit in Sydney. So there, it got a lot of kind of energy behind it, and people were like, "Man, we haven't had anything like that here," which is kind of funny <laughs> was it everything you thought it would be because I, I look at pictures on Instagram and I see <laughs> and I see people in Australia and it just looks like a different kind of experience it is man like I, so I went there for the first time like four years ago and then I had such an incredible time that I was like anywhere I'm traveling I'm going back there so <laughs> any money that I spend wherever is going to go basically in my Australia fund Oh, that's fantastic, man! That's definitely on the buck. That's definitely on the bucket list. I, I definitely have to get out there sometime. Yeah, for me, it's my favorite place to travel life to date. So I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> that's awesome. And I like accents too, man. And what's funny is we're the exotic ones there. Everyone's like, "I love your accent. I love your accent." <laughs> you didn't think that ever existed. That's funny. No, not at all. That's not funny. All. It, but it, I got to tell you, a, a close second though might be Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> That's uh, it's been that's been near and dear to my buddy's heart right here. So uh, yeah, so how you guys are in Nashville currently, correct? Yep, yes, sir. And Brian's doing a show today, tonight. Uh, no show tonight. Uh, just flew in from Boston this morning. Okay, so are you, but you're on tour currently, Brian? Uh, yeah, it's um, we're we're going down to the Cayman Islands. Uh, we just finished like a six day run. And then uh, we're heading down to the Cayman Islands next week. Uh, and then uh, it's like not really like a consistent tour where we're on the road the whole time. But we have we have shows basically spread out through May. So how did you two link up? How did you guys meet? Hometown, Andover, Mass. Uh, Ricky and my brother grew up together. And, uh, and naturally I became close with Ricky as I got older and more mature and cool enough to hang out with him. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, but but you so you guys knew knew each other from growing up, okay? And you saw Ricky was doing this implementation speaking and these different kinds of things. 
Yeah, I think one of the first events that he spoke at uh, was actually an event that we uh, we kind of all threw together with a, a brand that we had started, and I helped host the event. And leading up to it, uh, Ricky did like a couple practice sessions with us, and during that time, that's when I kind of got hooked on um, his program, and it really drew me in, and I, I kind of ran with it. So take us back a little bit, if you would, Brian, because uh, uh, Ricky gave me a little bit of your story, and I thought it was, it sounds tremendously inspirational, uh, a true bounce-back uh, story about life. So take us back to however many years ago it was when you were going through some tough times. Yeah, um, I was kind of like when Drew Bledsoe got hurt and Tom Brady came in, and everything changed. <laughs> We're, we're celebrating a victory right now. I could see you guys. You guys are a dynasty, huh? We are. We are. Um, no, so I uh, in in middle school. That's kind of when I started to fuck up and get in a lot of trouble. I was the class clown, voted class clown, and uh, I kind of did everything to make my friends laugh. And I was also avoiding some struggles that I had going on at home, and um, and that soon turned to you know me. Uh, fighting alcohol and abusing alcohol and using drugs and abusing drugs and uh, starting to run away from home and failing out of school and just not really caring. I got to the point where, you know, I looked at my family and I just, they, they were like, what is wrong with you? And I, I, was, I just told them, like, I don't care. I don't care if I die tomorrow. Um, wow. I, I just don't want to do anything that you guys tell me or any, any anything, you know, that the authorities are telling me to do. What were you, and, about 16 at that point or? Uh, that, yeah, at that point I was like around 15, 16. Mm -hmm. I was a sophomore. It was, it was during freshman, sophomore year of high school. Those are tough years for anybody. Tough years for anyone, especially when you're lost and, and yeah. not motivated. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough. And, you know, my dad was working a lot. Um, my mom, you know, had the misfortune of growing up with an alcoholic father. And, you know, that, that paid like a that had a big toll on her. And she ended up, uh, struggling with alcohol herself throughout the years and you know that obviously affected me as well and it uh so my home life wasn't the greatest my parents did everything they could in their you know in their capable ways to you know make my life great and to to raise me um well um but unfortunately those demons for my mom got in the way and mm. uh and they set me back a little bit, and that kind of set me off. Among you know other things that I was going through, it wasn't all you know on her by any means. And uh, yeah, so yeah, it was the drugs, alcohol, and then finally, you know, I got to a point where my parents were like, "You can't live at home anymore. We're going to send you to this boarding school in Maine." And the school is called Hyde School, is a character education school. And at first, I was very resistant. You know, they gave me the option. They're like, "You can go to this school, or you could be homeless." And I thought about it for a couple of days. Homeless actually sounded awesome because no one was in charge at that point. But um, <laughs> kind of got my shit together and, and decided to go to the school. And um, you know, I wasn't too far into it that things started to click for me because they they were really, really uh, hard on you know character education, being honest with yourself, confronting attitudes that are getting in your way, and um, and just working through stuff. They had a really good family program. Um, where we, you know, did seminars with our family and talked about struggles in the fa and between, you know, me and my parents, and um, it really started to help me turn things around. And at the same time that was happening, um, I started. I really kind of kicked in with rapping, and uh, it all started as a joke in middle school. I would rewrite songs 
and, uh, and like joke songs to like Blink 182 and bring them into the cafeteria and sing them to my friends and um, and then that kind of turned into freestyling and realizing that I was really good with words and putting them together you know off the top of my my dome and uh, and then that turned into you know realizing that writing raps was an outlet for me and I struggled with you know opening up to people and, and having conversations I think it had a lot to do with my home life where I didn't feel the comfort in you know, sitting and talking with someone about stuff I was going through. So once I discovered that through writing, it kind of, it just skyrocketed for me and I, and I didn't stop. Wow. And, uh, and so I left, left boarding school and I uh, went to Colorado for college. And during that time, I kind of fell back on my face. I left school after a year, uh, moved in with the biggest drug dealer in Denver and became a mule. And I was running, you know, the, probably around ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 worth of cocaine from Denver to Montana on like a monthly basis and among other things and um, you know started abusing drugs and alcohol again kind of got lost wow. and, uh, and yeah it was really rough you know I thought at the time I left the school thinking I was moving in with this guy and he was going to help manage my music but that really turned into me just kind of being a drug mule and going around with him and you know enjoying a life with the house with the movie theater and motorcycles and everything but um really deep down I wasn't happy but luckily from the things I learned at the boarding school I was able to confront uh, those attitudes in me and realize I wasn't in a good place and you know remove myself from the situation and um, you know ask for help from friends sure sure and, uh, let me ask you real quick too going back to yeah. going, moving back a little bit to the high school like when you first started using and, and abusing obviously do you remember was it was it all stemming from pretty much your home life or were there other things going on I mean, there's there's plenty of things going on. I mean, the home life definitely played a big role in it. Um, I also had a girlfriend uh, for the first two years of high school that it was a really uh, it was a bad relationship. It was very unhealthy. Um, so it was an easy way to escape. Easy way to escape. Yeah. yeah, she cheated on me a couple times and um, just kind of brought me you know deeper in a hole. And yeah. um, I just loved I loved alcohol. Like I loved the way it made me feel, and I loved. Um, you know, having those moments of escape and, you know, I yeah. got to the point where I would love to like wake up early in the morning and, um, and go, uh, go down to the fridge before my parents woke up and pour some wine into a water bottle and take it to school and drink it at school and, wow. and you know, get a nice buzz on and then, you know, really kind of click into that class clown role. Yeah. And, and it it's a vicious cycle too, isn't it? It is. It really yeah. is. Um, Especially that young too, because you don't know any better, and you know it's like I, you know, especially when you're that young, you don't really feel the after effects the next day or how much it's you know detrimental so to true. your body and so your true. mental health. Yeah, and uh, so I was all about it. So when you when told I, your parents that you'd rather die, when they finally had that coming that moment with you, uh, how did they react to that? Um, they they were in shock. They uh, they honestly didn't know what to do, and they they called. So my brothers are eight and ten years older than me. So by by the time I was going through this, they were you know long gone on their ways to college, and um, and so they they my parents contacted them and you know said like we have no idea what to do with your younger brother you know he's totally off the deep end and uh, and you know he said some of this stuff to me and so my older brother Jeff who Ricky is grew up with and his best friends with um, you know he took me on a ride in the car and uh, and talked with me 
uh, about everything that was going on. I, I just, like, he stopped the car and I looked at him. I was like, honestly, bro, like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I, I do not care if I die tomorrow. I don't care what you're saying to me right now. Like, I'm going to do what I want when I want, and no one's going to ever change that. And at that point, that's when he realized, you know, how far gone I was as well. Jeez, and man. Wow. When my family realized that, you know, they, they weren't capable of, you know, changing me or helping me, you know, seek change on my own, um, that's when they, they turned to the boarding school. When you, talk, when you talk about that and look back at that moment in your life, looking back, like, as of right this very moment to that, I mean, what are your thoughts and feelings about where you are now versus where you were then it's wild man i mean i you know a lot of people didn't think i was going to make it past 18 19 and uh and to see where i am today uh you know compared to the kid i was back then and the thoughts that were going through my mind and how self-destructive i was it's crazy man it's really unbelievable it's like it's it's really hard for me to look back and actually like understand how i was able to be that deep in all of that probably you feel like a, you felt like you feel like a different person right like not even the same life absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely different so person. so but and and, and but at the same time i'm so grateful for it because you know it, it really defines the person i am today and i'm able to you know that i'm always able to look back on that stuff when i'm going through hard times and realize how far i've come and use the tools that i use but then the coolest part for me is you know Having that backstory, I'm able to put that into my music and use that as a tool to, you know, be a positive effect in kids' lives today. Oh, that's that's powerful stuff. So you you, you, you ended up you ended up kind of getting on track, but then once you left the boarding school, uh, moved out on your own, you moved in with the, the the guy that was supposed to take your career off, and instead you started going right back to those old traps. So yeah. how long did that go on for? That was um, that was about six, seven months. Six, seven months of constantly moving back and forth, cocaine dealing, drug yeah. dealing, uh, probably putting yourselves in some in some bad situations. And I assume you started using again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you were yeah, using once. I, once I got to college, I uh, I was I was back to drinking, partying, using, and it just continuously got worse, um, and to the point you know, when I was doing the dealing and, um, you know, I was driving up to Montana with the cocaine and, and taking four or five ecstasy pills on the drive by myself Jeez. and smoking weed, just driving, you know, having the time of my life when, when I thought was the time of my life. Um, and I'm lucky I'm still here. You know, if I, if I got pulled over, if I got arrested, I'd probably still be in prison. And, um, and as well as, you know, lucky at, you know, I actually did one of the drives up there. I was high on ecstasy and I did end up, um, getting in a really bad car accident where I, where I hit, I killed a deer. Um, and I was just, I was so out of it that I didn't even realize what was going on. And I, I remember I just got out of the car, I laughed and then I got back in the car and kept driving. That's how long gone I was. Wow. And I just want to mention this from, from his brother's perspective, like Jeff and I, his older brother talk about basically all life a lot. And, um, to this day, when he tells me when he stopped that car, he shared that with me and looking into Brian and Brian telling him he doesn't care if he dies tomorrow. Like, he's shared with me of, like, how scared he was at that moment. And if it's anybody that can ever get to somebody, it's usually an older brother. And to have that not even come close to fruition or even come close to helping, Jeff tells me to this day he he's never felt as lost or scared. Because he thought, coming from college, oh, my younger brother, he's going to listen to me. I got this mom. I got this dad. And then 
to have absolutely almost no impact or no kind of infiltration on that mindset. He told me many, many times that's what really scared him. Oh, I can't and imagine. I can't imagine. Just a, a side note, I'm sure you'll get into this more. My boy here is extremely modest to, to come where he's at now. He's, he's going to the Cayman Islands to, to play a VIP session for Kabo, which is a major international music festival. And he already played Kabo in San Diego. Just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I hear you. Well, I listened to some of your stuff earlier, Brian, and, and you reminded me of, I, I don't know if I, I, this is truly a compliment, you reminded me a little bit of that those old Sublime days, too, when I used to listen to those oh, guys. Wow. Yeah. So, so uh, I mean, I know you're inspired by Macklemore and some of those other guys, but uh, I remember that old some of that old school Sublime stuff, man, that is still pretty badass when you go back to it. Yeah, I'll take that. The new day. wave, the new wave Sublime over here, so... Uh, <laughs> So anyway, so yes, yeah, so how did you get out of the seven-month ordeal with the, with the cocaine and the dealing? Uh, so I actually had a friend that I went to boarding school with who lived a town over. Um, he was living with his parents at the time, and he had, uh, at that time, he had been sober for about a year. Uh, he had gotten in a car accident and, um, and while he was drinking on cocaine, and from that moment on, he had been sober, and so I, you know, he and I had grabbed coffee a few times, and when everything kind of, you know, kind of came tumbling down on me and, and the dealer I was working with got arrested and, and um, unfortunately at the same time uh, I lost two friends both to drug and alcohol abuse. Uh, they both took their lives and that was kind of, that was a big wake up call for me and so I turned to him and just said help, you know, I have no idea, I have no idea what to do right now, I'm pretty deep in this and, and I need some help kind of navigating my way out and you know, him and his family were nice enough to, you know, let me move into their house for a year and uh, clean up my act. And they they were, you know, huge, huge. They played a huge role in helping me, you know, kind of navigate out of that. Um, and that wasn't the end of it, though. I mean, that kind of got me out of the, the real heavy drug abuse and everything. But then soon after that, you know, I got back into drinking. You know, I quit for like 11 months, uh, the drugs and alcohol, and then I got back into drinking and um, that didn't stop until almost four years ago now. Um, it was 2015, uh, where I'd been living in Nashville for about three years at the time. And, uh, you know, chasing a music career, but really, you know, focused on partying and just having a good time with my friends. And, yeah. um, the, the last straw for me, uh, three and a half years ago was I, uh, I was on my first tour with a country artist. Uh, There's a guy named Bubba Sparks, a rapper back in the day, yep. who, uh, who killed it. And he uh, he did a song with his country artist named Ricky Young. So I was on the road with Ricky Young, and I was playing Bubba Sparks' part, rapping, and also helping tour manage. And that whole tour was just the party. You know, we were we were doing drugs, drinking the whole time. And I had a girlfriend two and a half years at that point. And one of the nights we were on the road, I was just high on cocaine, drinking, and I ended up cheating on my girlfriend and just drank it away, didn't even think about it, and kind of buried it for two months. Then um, actually that summer in July, the end of July, Ricky had a, uh, a beach party out in L.A., and my band played the after party at a club in Santa Monica. And that whole day I was, you know, I was, I was doing cocaine and drinking, and uh, I we took the stage that night. I was late to taking the stage and missed the first two lines of my set. I fell on my face multiple times. I fell into the drum set, cut my elbow. I was bleeding. I fell off the stage. And uh, it was just a train wreck. And, uh, and that was like July 25th of 2015. And then that 
the next day we flew back to Nashville and on the flight back, uh, I drank about eight scotches and at the Jeez. airport, I decided getting back to Nashville at night, decided to go to the bar at the airport in Nashville, getting home, which is unheard of. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it reminds me, man, that famous quote by John Daly, that one is one is too many and ten's not enough. And that's kind of those cycles that you got yourself caught into. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, especially cheating on my girlfriend and kind of burying that, it just that really pushed the drinking, you know, into full force. And so we got back to the airport that night. I ended up drunkenly just breaking up with my girlfriend at the airport. And then a week later, um, you know, finally had a conversation with her and told her everything that happened. And then went out that night, drank and did a bunch of cocaine and uh, drove home. Luckily, didn't hurt myself or anyone else. Um, left my car open. I was in the middle of moving, so I had my computer and all my hard drives in my car uh, with, you know, all five hundred plus songs I'd written over the years, videos, pictures, just all memories. And uh, mm. I left my car open and everything got stolen out of my car. And the next day we had a co-write with a huge songwriter here in Nashville who had like five, six number ones. And at the time it was a big feat for me. And uh, my, uh, my music partner who was my girlfriend as well came in the house and could barely wake me up because I was just passed out and uh, came out to the car. Everything was stolen. And it just, it broke me. I went to the right. I was still high on cocaine. I couldn't, couldn't even, you know, put words together, let alone, you know, try to write a song. And, uh, and then the next day I woke up and I was like, I need to go to an AA meeting. And, you know, I was two miles away from the next meeting that started in five minutes. And I went there for a week and just cried my eyes out. And, uh, and I, I didn't stick with the, the, the program, but I, now been sober since then for almost four what, years. what was it specifically about that that particular morning that made you finally say holy shit I need to get some help I uh, the last straw was I was at the time I was on some antibiotic um, and I went to CVS to, to get the prescription and they were like your health insurance is canceled and it's gonna be like four hundred dollars and it didn't make sense to me because, uh, you know, I had the money to pay my health insurance. But I, at that point, I just, I did not pay attention to anything in my life. I was so irresponsible and all I was doing was drinking and partying. And that was like, it was a smaller thing compared to everything else, but it was just the last straw after the day before everything being stolen, you know, the breakup with my girlfriend. And at that moment, I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Right. And uh, I was like, I, and first thought, because my mind was conditioned from boarding school was, you know... I need to find help, and the, the first thought was in an AA meeting, um, and I haven't looked back since. And what were you, about your mid-20s at that point? Yeah, at that point, I was 20, uh, 27. Oh, okay, okay. So, you haven't looked back since that very morning, and how do you and Ricky then come to this, where you guys kind of reconnect, And because uh, I know Ricky's played a big influence on your life, from what I've, what I've heard. Yeah, well, actually, the... Um, you know, it's funny the night in in LA that I fell on my face on stage right before we took that stage but right before we took the stage that night um, Ricky and my brother actually and I, I vaguely remember this because I was so drunk and blown out of my mind um, they had come up to the green room and let um, let us know that they were going to donate a bunch of money and help us make our next project and um, and that was you know that was a financial piece where Ricky's been 
you know, helpful throughout the years. Anytime I've needed help, he's always been there for me. But um, I think it was, uh, I think it was three years ago now, yeah. um, where we did the first, uh, we did the first wellness seminar, and you know, before that, Ricky and I had been talking about this stuff. He had been um, studying and teaching and with his sales teams. Um, but it wasn't until that seminar where like we actually you know, deliberately sat down and went through the process um, that it just it resonated with me so well and I, I was addicted right away and, and I knew that it would help me in my career so much and um, so I kind of just latched on to him at that point. Ricky, what's the wellness seminar? What is that about? Um, this was it was uh, when I started really getting into like implementation for me and I, it was making just huge strides in my personal life, in my career, in my entrepreneurship, everything. So I was just so excited, and I talked a ton about it with uh, with Jeff, Brian's older brother, and we're like, man, let's just throw a wellness seminar. And I didn't know it at the time, but that was the first time I had really spoken with intention and direction in front of people. And we put it together and got such great feedback. It ultimately led, I quit my job probably a year later, just from the feeling that I had gotten from that seminar, from people kind of reaching out and saying, hey, this helped with this and this helped with that. And one of the people in the audience got me to my first speaking events at a real estate company. And it was just something that really me and Brian's old brother, Jeff, were like, hey, let's throw this on. There was a kind of clothing brand that we were talking about at the time. But really, we were just doing it from feeling the synergy that we, that we kind of felt from it, wanted to put it on. We discussed it with people. They got excited. We got excited. And it was just kind of this huge transfer of energy, and we ended up with like what seventy people. Yeah, it was a <laughs> I mean, we didn't plan it nothing. Like within two weeks, really, we were putting that together, we had seventy people just from pure kind of excitement, energy, and synergy from people. So, what specifically did you focus on when you sat down with Brian? Like, what were the main things that you were targeting? So he can speak to it on what resonated with him. I, what I remember, so it was the first time I was really going to be in front of a group that was not sales related. You know what I mean? It wasn't a company that I was hiring me. It wasn't sales related. It wasn't. It was strictly for mindset, health, and wellness. So I was like, guys, can you can you help me? You know, can you listen to my talk before I do it in front of seventy people? So I had like four or five people that I really trusted and could be vulnerable in front of, and I went through my talk. And I still remember this today. There's a part in my talks where I talk about magnificent obsession. And I mean, there's five of us in this tiny room, and I'm using this tiny little board to go through it. And I remember looking at the back, and Brian was, it was like kind of like a, a round table, and Brian was direct in front of me. And his facial expressions, when his brother was working through what I call magnificent obsession, it's kind of like digging deeper into gold, what's really going to move you, what's really going to light your soul on fire so you can build the consistency. And I still remember Brian's face when his brother was talking about the money that he wanted to make, but more importantly, the contribution aspects to him and his family and how his brother wanted to help his younger brother in a financial aspect. And I just, rem I literally remember the face on Brian and his feedback after that that he gave me was like, that's one of the most powerful points. That was my aha moment. Um, and I think he said you might have cried. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's how I remember you might remember something different but that in the practice seminar in the practice round um, going through that was I remember not only did I love the feedback but I remember his facial expressions and it was just a really cool moment wow and, and so you you actually you were you got emotional when you saw that Brian yeah yeah I uh, I did 
so so what happens from there you do this wellness seminar and you feel like like this is the first step of the rest of your life like what what are you thinking when you leave the seminar um i was just hyped you know i think the stuff that resonated with me was it was a lot of it was mind conditioning and just you know for so long it was kind of drilled into me from all different sources in my life that it was like you can't control you know you can't control life and so for me like and and I never really thought too much into that so my thought was it is what it is if I feel a certain way that's the way I feel and if I you know my work ethic just everything is just is what it is and I don't have control over that you know it's just kind of it's been developed and now it's set in stone that I'm an adult and you know realizing that I truly do have power over you know me and my thoughts and how I react to things and 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 that's all through conditioning my mind and so you know leaving the seminar like conditioning my mind to be grateful was like one of the number one things that I just I just ran with and realizing you know no matter what's going on in my life that if I'm breathing right now I'm lucky and I'm I'm here I'm on earth and you know it's they say you have a a, you know, a better chance of winning the lottery 20 times in your life than you do of actually being born. So it's, it's a miracle that we're here. So no matter what I'm going through at any time, actually one of the one, one of the things that, that uh, the main things that stuck with me for a while um, that I always use an example when I'm telling people about Ricky's program, um, he reads a gratitude poem every morning, which I started to, I wrote my poem and I started to do that. And one of the things on Ricky's poem that he used during that seminar that I, you know, is my main thing I talk about all the time is um, the stuff that he's grateful for is not just I'm grateful for my family, I'm grateful for my job, but also on the other side of the spectrum, stuff that you wouldn't normally say you're grateful for, stuff that you normally complain about or be upset about or that would put you in a bad headspace. And the one that always stuck with me was, you know, he said, I'm grateful for the screaming baby on the plane because it means I can hear. And <laughs> I just like, and then really step, you know, really pushed me back because I've spent many, many red eyes and early morning flights to and from, you know, LA with screaming babies around me and just getting pissed off. Of and, course, of course. And, uh, and then the first, like that, that trip when I went home, I had three babies around me on the flight <laughs> and we were home at, I think it was the, the 7 a.m. flight from LA to Nashville. And I just started laughing, like, and everyone around me were, was disgruntled. And I just started laughing, and and in that moment, I was like, "Holy shit! Like, I really do have the power to control my reaction to things that are happening around me, rather than it is what it is. This sucks. To be grateful." Oh, it's beautiful, and Ricky, you talked about that last time you were on the podcast, and I thought you were a little bit crazy too when you when you said that. <laughs> to be honest with you, but but it, it, it goes to show you, it, it's all about mental conditioning, like you like you guys said, it's all about the mindset. You get to choose how you want to react to something. You can't control whether that baby's going to cry or not, but you can control the way you're going to react to it, and that's pretty much the message there. So, Ricky, talk about some of the, the real key things that you think have helped not only Brian, of course, but but other people uh, from your your gratitude preaching, your association changes. Like, like get into some of that, will you? Yeah, for sure, man. Um, it, it's it's funny. It's the number one thing I get asked about in my talks now. Is is I show my gratitude poem. I show them how to use it, and that's why I have a huge and very very soft space in my heart for Brian, 
because I share a little bit with Brian, and he takes it, and he runs with it, man. And I, I'm an implementational guy, so, like, that sparks me and lights me up because he starts not only sharing the message, but he's, he implements the message, and then he helps other people implement the message. And that all falls into contribution, which is a big part of what his band is about, is spreading love and positivity. Um, so I, I love that. But, yeah, the, I mean, it's to me, it's just a change in perspective, man. And when we're conditioned to do that, we will see gratitude everywhere, no matter what, no matter the significance of the situation or the extremeness of the situation. And I love what Brian just said. You know, if I'm breathing and the statistics of being born, I've been on a major, major girl power kick for like a year now. And one of my favorite speakers is Mel Robbins. And she actually gave this statistic. You have a one in 400 trillion chance of being born. One in 400 trillion. And then we complain. I mean, just think about that. We're absolutely walking miracles all over the place, but we don't have the awareness to say, hey, this is pretty awesome. So I love how Brian kind of compares that to being born. And when you put that in perspective, all of us are when one in 400 trillion. The odds of us even being here are so minuscule. So to, to dishonor that through complaining, through bitching, through you know not seeing the world through a beautiful lens, to me, is a disgrace, to be brutally honest. So, But when people learn this, they have a choice. They can condition themselves every single morning, or they can let other people condition themselves. The greatest thing is we have the choice. And I know from experience, not only from what I've done, but from the people that I've, I wouldn't say helped, I'd say maybe the people I've helped maybe facilitate a different perspective, and the people that they've taught, it's meant everything. But it's so foundational and so simple, people often overlook it. Wow. That's beautiful stuff. That's beautiful stuff, man. And, and Brian, you have now taken these lessons and mentalities and, and all these different things with you into this into this relatively new band called Stealing Oceans, correct? Yeah. Um, the music business is fucking hard, man. It really is. You know, there's no right way to do it. And it's, you know, if you jump into it, you need to get ready for a series of letdowns and you have no idea what to expect. And uh, so I've been, you know, I've been professionally pursuing it for about four years now. And uh, it started as a duo, Stealing Oceans. And then um, the girl that I, you know, I spoke of earlier who I was dating was also the singer in Stealing Oceans. And, you know, we broke up and that kind of, uh, that, that ended us as a duo and so I became Stealing Oceans as an artist and uh, and then acquired you know an incredible band of five other guys that uh, that I work with and uh, yeah it's, I, I apply it in all aspects of this because you know on an individual basis uh, for just just my personal process in this journey it's tough you know I have high high hopes for you know making you know, a big splash in the world with, you know, my story, my message, my music, my positivity. And, um, and I, and it's just hard because it's so, you know, the, the process is so slow. It's hard to get your name out there. It's hard to gain momentum. There's, you know, the market's oversaturated. So to wake up every day and, and, you know, lead, you know, move forward with gratitude and just be grateful to be where I am today. You know, I'm sitting at my record label on Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee. My management as well is here. They manage Kelly Clarkson and Blake Shelton. Like, I'm fucking doing it. Who's that? But, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, He's like, what's I'm wrong with it. this guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <It's a lot. laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, right, right. No, I mean, if you told me I was going to be here five years ago, I would have shit my pants. And uh, I think I just did, actually. It was a, it was a long flight. Um, <laughs> uh, no, but for real, if you told me I was going to be here five years ago, uh, I wouldn't have believed you. And I'd be like, that's the dream. That's where I want to be. But, you know, all of us, you know, I feel like, you know, we're never satisfied. We want to achieve more. And so I have, you know, much bigger goals ahead of me and using you know the the systems and processes that I've learned from Ricky's has helped me get to this point so far and then you know on the in terms of working with my band you know that's five different personalities five different people with you know anxiety um, some of them struggle with depression and you know we're musicians like we we aren't you know tough-minded business guys like we're you know we're soft hearted you know fucking very sensitive motherfuckers <laughs> that are trying to make a living off expressing our feelings all the while like looking good and sure. killing it in the sure. who's, uh, who's your who's your management by the way uh, it's called Starstruck Entertainment okay and uh yeah so so to manage you know the, the band and to figure out how we all work with each other it's been you know I've been on the phone with Ricky a lot asking you know questions and figuring out how to how to work with them because everyone's process is different um and uh and so it's just been so helpful that to have Ricky you know as pretty much like a you know he's, he's an implementational speaker but for me he's more of like a life coach sure um, and I'm lucky enough to you know have him on speed dial and not have to uh send him checks <laughs> have you ever been any happier in your life brian or, or is this the happiest you've been no this is it man like it, it's fucking crazy because it just keeps getting better and better it's like like the past three years every year at the end of every year i said that was the best year of my life last year was the best year of my life and this year is already shaping up to be much better than that year and it just continues to get better and i and i don't think that's based it's it's loosely based off success but more based off self-growth improvement awareness and working my program because all you know i could i could get fucking i could lose my voice tomorrow and all this could go away but all the self-development i've done you know with ricky's process and and you know and really shaping gratitude as you know the center of my universe um you know i feel like i'm i'm prepared for anything like that to happen oh that's very powerful stuff man everyone loves a comeback story and it sounds like this is like the prototyp the, the the typical you know comeback story is right here uh and you've fallen several times uh one of the things that keeps coming to my mind that i want to ask you is is whenever you do get those urges if they still ever arise i mean you're in nashville you're traveling you're exposed to a lot of different cities and people and uh influences how do you, for people that may be struggling with this as well, how do you stay strong and what do you do to make sure you don't fall back into those old traps? It's all, I mean, it's the same process, you know, it's all mind conditioning. You know, when mm. I when I have that urge, if, there's, if I'm in some sort of discomfort or, you know, something that makes me want to get out of the headspace I'm in and there's alcohol around and it's like, oh man, I'd love to have a drink right now. I immediately, like, I immediately think of everything that I talked about before I got sober. I think about cheating on my girlfriend. I think about hyperventilating in a cold shower right after I told my girlfriend that I cheated on her and broke her heart. I think about, you know, what I, you know, how I affected my family and everyone around me. And I just think about, you know, I'm once I stopped drinking, six months later, like everything, everything started to happen for me. And within a year of quitting drinking, I got my deal 
and I was able to quit serving tables for you know that I did for ten years and solely do music as a career. And it's never worth it. It's it's never worth it. It's never going to be worth it to me. There are times, and it's funny. Like most of the urges I get these days are not actually when I'm in a bad place. It's more of um, when we're celebrating a victory or a win in terms of something for our team. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I'm sure when we're down in the Caymans next week. We're all going to be sitting on the beach, you know, before we take the stage at one of our biggest shows of our lives. Everyone's going to be having a beer. And I'm going to be like, yo, it'd be dope to have a beer with my band right now because it's a celebration. But my next next thought would be, no, the celebration is that we made it here. It's because I was able to put the drink away and focus on other things in my life. So it's um, these days, it's not even it's not even really a temptation because um, it's pretty easy. It's like I fucking love my life now. And I hated my life when I was drinking. Uh, so that's why beautiful. Would I ever do it again? That's beautiful advice, man. Beautiful and, advice. And, and the other side of that, uh, which I haven't touched on, but is very, very important to me, is um, you know, music can be a very um, selfish process where we're we're looking inward all the time, and and um, you know, the focus is on us when we're on stage. But my favorite part about growing this platform and having a voice is being able to reach kids who you know, are potentially in the same, you know, kind of arena that I was in when I was younger and struggling with drugs, alcohol, or stuff at home. And um, and so I think about them, too, because I have kids now that I mentor, um, and I talk to on a weekly basis who have struggled or are struggling with that stuff. And they look up to me because of the position I'm in with my music and where I'm at, the label. Um, but for me, that's just such a great opportunity because I'm, I'm able to implement positive change in their life. And so anytime I think about you know, could I drink? Uh, fuck no, because I'd be letting down so many people. It's not just kids, too. I mean, I two years ago, I had a lady at a show in Baltimore come up to me crying at the merch table saying, you know, I've been sober for five months, and I was getting ready to drink again because I didn't think I could have fun without, I didn't think I could have, yeah, fun without alcohol. Mm -hmm. And she's like, but I saw you on stage, and you talked about being sober, and I saw how much fun and how much joy you had just, just vibrating out of you, and She's like, you gave me hope again. And then fast forward seven wow. months, we were playing a show in Nashville. And I'm at the merch table again. The same lady drove all the way down from Baltimore, walks right up to me and just starts bawling her eyes out. And she's like, I've been sober for, for 13 months because of you. And wow. I lost it. Like, I wow. just started crying. My first, the first thing I said to her was it wasn't because of me. It was because of her and everything she had done. But um, that moment, it has always stuck with me and I'll never fucking drink or something like that. Wow, that is tremendously powerful. Tremendously. So so before we finish off, Brian, give us a little sneak peek or whatever you can talk to us about with where your band's going and what your plans are for this coming year with uh, Stealing Oceans. Everything, man. Everything's happening. Um, now, we got some great shows coming up. Like like we said, we're playing the Caymans next week. Um, we... Uh, have a lot of music coming out this year. Uh, the next single is going to come out next month. Uh, it's called Radio Star. I wrote it with my homie Schmarks and Savvy and Jonathan Giersitano. It's a fucking incredible song. Um, and uh, and on top of that, we got about 10 more singles we're probably going to put out this year. Uh, just lots of music um, and continuing to just spread, you know, our, our motto is stay youthful, be grateful, always love. And continuing to just travel around the world, play music and bring people together and create a positive community within, you know, the, the, the fucking opportunity we have, which is to do what we love for a living. And I'm very grateful for it. That's awesome, man. And, and, and Ricky, what do you guys have planned, planned, uh, these next couple of days in Nashville? Anything specific? 
Yeah, we're um, so you know, Brian gives me a lot of credit, but I want to give it right back to him because he's actually inspired me to be here. And, and like I said, I give him a little bit. He takes off and runs with it. So that actually inspired me to come here. And he got me a gig speaking at Starstruck, which led me to somebody who's been here 19 years. And together we started a company called MindMap. And it's to help artists kind of go on that journey. It's fucking dope. <laughs> um, and Brian, <laughs> like one of the cool things that I love is that wellness weekend that we we really kind of had a breakthrough. Ryan Ryan uh, wrote a song called Blueprint, yeah. and, it, and it's uh, it's about mental conditioning. You want to chat? Yeah, I, I love like I, when he called it Blueprint. I thought it was one of the coolest things that I had, I had heard before. <laughs> yeah, no, we uh, like that that first weekend that we were talking about three years ago when we um, when we sat down for you know the Ricky's program, kind of getting ready for the sessions. I had studio time booked. Uh, the day after the actual event and going, you know, uh, all the songs we write, it's, it's based off of where we're at that time. You know, it's all real shit. We're not, we're not getting in a room trying to write something that we think is going to sell well. We write, you know, music that's true to who we are. At that time, I was so, you know, inspired by Ricky's program and everything we talked about that we, uh, you know, the first thing on my mind was like, you know, for so long, like I said, I thought, you know, there was a certain blueprint of how to live my life and there wasn't any way of getting out of that. And through his program, I realized, you know, there is no blueprint. And, you know, life is, you know, it's cliche. It sounds what we make it. And we can condition our minds to, you know, to be fucking anything we want to be and achieve anything we want in our lives. You just have to believe it yourself. And uh, so, yeah, we wrote the song about that. And uh, it's, it's, it's been actually our most successful song to date. That's awesome, man. I'll have to check that out. So, so this the the workshop that you're doing now, or this company, Ricky, you guys are are they seminars or what is it exactly? Yeah, well, the events that I have in Nashville, there's one tonight, one tomorrow night, and then oh, nice. I, I speak at a real estate company later on the week, but these are specifically to promote Mind Map. Um, Mind Map, okay. And anything from like it's not so much the the, the business side of, of the music industry; it's more of kind of self development in an industry that chews you up and spits you out from what I've heard in this town. Yeah. Uh, we've done a lot of research. I don't live here. I'm not a musician. I'm not an artist. But I've done a lot of research and I've talked to a lot of people and the failure rates are astronomical. And I, and I asked Brian a lot on feedback when I, we were thinking of starting the company. I was like, man, what, what would you start with in terms of kind of like to help people and artists that come here? And it was like the number one thing was like, why? why do you want to do what you do? And I thought that was super powerful and that's where we started. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we got uh, going on this week in Nashville. That's why I'm here for a little bit. Hey, you guys said it earlier. That's a true dynasty right there. <laughs> yes, sir. Who needs the Patriots, man? Who needs Brady yes. and Belichick? We got Ricky and Brian here. So. <laughs> you don't know how much we love that analogy. Yeah, I know. I'm sure. Hey, guys, uh, listen. All the best to both of you. Uh, we'll stay in touch, please. I'll be watching you, Brian, and uh, checking you guys out. We'll link up everything in the show notes to this podcast. And uh, like I said before, really appreciate your guys' time and uh, keep continued successes to both of you. Thanks, Nate. Um, can I can I just say one one couple last things? Yeah, please, please. Um, I definitely I want to say thank you to Brian, man. One thing that he has helped me tremendously in like the last probably six to twelve months is how hard it is to share these experiences and you know I've, I've met some people that have cool stories and for me one thing I've had to learn is like I push them I push them I push them 
And Brian's helped me to put a whole different perspective on that because I, I can't imagine how hard it is, number one, to share and be vulnerable like he has done. I'm sure old feelings come back and they race back, and that's not an easy thing, man. So I say thank you because I think vulnerability is relatability. And I think that's why Brian has been successful and will continue to be massively successful because of that ability to, to be in that state. So, And I know it's not easy, so I definitely want to say thank you to him. I also want to make a point of... He said several, several times he asked for help, and I think we get scared of asking for help. Our ego gets in the way. We want to do it all ourselves, and we don't ask for help. So I think that's one of the most powerful things that we can do. And another thing is that Brian changes associations. If you change your associations, you know, things change for you. And now Brian, like a lot of people, they waited to learn and change until a time of desperation or a time of tragedy. And the message is kind of like, you know, why wait? You can wait and change in terms of desperation and tragedy, or you can learn and change now in terms of inspiration and joy. And I think that's what Brian and Stealing Oceans are helping people do on a nightly basis when they play a show, because it is magnetic, it is energetic, and they literally spread love and positivity throughout their entire set. Um, so my thank you to him for kind of taking that something and, and developing it and sharing it with others. That's beautifully said, Ricky. And uh, like I said, let's let's see what happens with you guys. And I would love to have you guys back on at some point. Thanks, Nate Dog, man. Really appreciate it. I really enjoyed this. This was awesome. Thank you guys so much. We'll get it out live as soon as possible. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. Talk to you soon. All right, thanks, man.